Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hat smiley face. Was I supposed to say that? Yeah. Or was I supposed to act that out? Hello and welcome everyone. You made it to the China shop. I'm shopkeeper Dan. With me as always is Kyle, creator of financialneptitude.com. Kyle's celebrating a big promotion today. Oh God, he again. is the new apprentice horse shouterer. How are you doing today, Kyle? <laughs> well, I can't be a whisperer. Oh, I've never heard you whisper in my life. Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> Whoa. Heal! <laughs> Stop this fucking horse! <laughs> Oh, God. You doing good today? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm doing all right. The uh, market's been pretty down today. Kind of depressing, but uh, what can you do? You learn how to make money when it's down. That's exactly. Well, we are joining you here today in the shop. Glad you everybody made it. We've got a special guest with us today, Chris Mamula from CanIRetireYet.com. He's here with us, and uh, we're going to play him in with a nice little ditty. For your earballs. Now it's basic investing with the bulls in the shop. Rising up to the challenge to go viral. And you must be a buyer, never sell those shares off. Cause we're holding them all with an eye to retire. <laughs> How are you doing today, Chris? That's awesome. That was great intro music, too. I'm fired up now. <laughs> right. Ah, uh, that's a good one. So we're, we're very glad uh, you've joined us today. Uh, Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey into becoming a retirement guru? <laughs> so it kind of happened, I guess, by accident. Um, I was, uh, by training, I was a physical therapist where um, my financial education was basically non-existent. And mm-hmm. so um, I kind of, um, we kind of lucked into, my wife and I uh, lucked into this path to uh, fire financial independence, retire early that I'm now on, uh, just because we both grew up um, without having a whole lot of money. Mm-hmm. And um, so for my family, um, like debt was just the four letter word. And um, like it was just, you didn't have debt, you just didn't do that. And my wife grew up with a very different background where her family kind of struggled with money. And so she just wanted to do something totally different. And so we both got, you know, professional jobs. I was a physical therapist and um, she's had a variety of careers with um, pretty parallel career path to mine, though. Mm-hmm. And so we both made probably as much money as our whole household did individually. Um, and so we just started living off of one salary and banking the other just really because it felt secure and mm-hmm. having no idea what the heck we were doing, not thinking early retirement was a possibility for us. And, um, you know, like a decade later, you wake up and you have a six figure portfolio and a paid off house. And we started looking of what are our options. And that's when I found other fire bloggers and, and realized that maybe this is possible. And so that's kind of, kind of, um, how we had that big head start to kind of, um, to have a, a decent net worth and a good start before we actually figured out what in the heck we were actually doing with investing and tax planning and all the technical stuff that I write about now. So you are retired now, correct? Yeah, I was a physical therapist and I worked from, I guess, 2001 to 2017. And, and uh, I left my job in December of 17 and I haven't practiced since. And I, I just let my license go. Um, I was kind of keeping that door open for a couple of years. And then at the end of 2020, um, between being out of work for three years and the pandemic, there was, wasn't a lot of demand for you know, non-essential healthcare workers. And I just decided not even to bother doing my continued education and I just let it lapse. So I am completely retired. And I guess I kind of closed that door on ever going back to being a physical therapist. Now, were you keeping that door open because there was still some fear? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think um, when we started down this path, um, you know, like there was a lot of talk as there still is now, and it's actually, I guess, worse, but like really high stock valuations, really low interest rates. Like, did we have enough money? And that first year was kind of scary. In 2018, uh, there was a, a decent dip in the market towards the end of the year. And 
Uh, but ever since then, everything's been, an, uh, been on an upward trajectory. And then also, like I started a little hobby business as a writer, and I've written a book, and I started working on the blog. And those now bring in <laughs> nowhere close to what I was making as a physical therapist and nowhere close to covering our expenses, but enough that um, probably um, if I needed to, um, we could not take anything but just the earnings off our investments. So that kind of eliminates the right. the risk that you know, you're drawing down too much. So uh, all of those factors kind of played into it. And uh, yeah, so I felt much more comfortable after a couple of years. Allow me to uh, butter you up a little bit. I consider physical therapy to be essential. In, in healthcare, I don't think enough people consider it as an option. I have a friend who's got a very bad back and they, they, they'll go to the chiropractor, but not a physical therapist. I'm like, what are you doing? Go to the physical therapist. That is the correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I remember what my question was now. You said you and your wife kind of grew up with different backgrounds. I was uh-huh. curious, does she have a different philosophy when it came towards debt? Because it sounded like you were of the mindset of, you know, debt, you don't want it. Stay away from it. No, you know, we were both very set on being debt free. Um, so she, mm-hmm. um, she put herself through school. She worked full time while going to school, uh, full time, uh, just with this idea that she wanted to kind of limit her debt. So like I knew she wasn't in any way irresponsible. Mm-hmm. Um, but she just had, she still, I mean, you know, it's expensive to put yourself through school and we went, we were from Pennsylvania where college costs are, are one of the highest in the country. So she wasn't able to get out debt free. And so like we kind of just settled on this system before we were ever married. Um, we kind of agreed that we were going to go into marriage debt-free. Mm-hmm. And so I actually helped her pay off her loans with with my first couple of paychecks. And my last year while I was in grad school, I was working part-time. We were just crushing her debt. And so we've been debt-free since we were married in, I guess, 2001. Wow. Did your family utilize debt a lot as a kid growing up? Or were they also, did they instill those values on you? Or did you learn from from watching what not to do? For, no, for my family, it was much more learning from a positive environment. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents were definitely uh, anti-debt. Like they made a big point of pointing out that like they didn't buy cars with debt. They only bought used cars that they could buy with cash. And I mean, they used a mortgage for our house, but I know they paid it off early. I remember that was like a celebration in our house, like when I was probably in my early teens. So, you know, I, I never actually have gone back and talked to them about how long it took or what their plan was, but I know they paid, definitely paid their mortgage off early because we were mortgage free pretty early in life. And and they had, again, they didn't have a very big income. My dad was a, uh, he had a photography business and my mom worked with him in it. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, combined, uh, I mean, they made well under, you know, probably mid like 50,000, 60,000, somewhere in there max maybe. Uh, but they were able to like get my brother and I through school and help us. And uh, so they were very responsible. Just my mom, I would give her credit for knowing how to stretch a dollar. <laughs> It's actually kind of funny when they, I know, talk about like financial literacy and stuff. Like when they got married originally, uh, to give you an idea of kind of their background, um, my mom worked in a bank and they got married and my mom's uh, supervisor came in and she said, you know, like, I need to talk to you. And she called her in the office and shut the door and they're like, what the hell's going on? Cause like, you guys are bouncing checks. And my mom's like, what? And uh, so she looked and she went and talked to my dad and he thought like if there was checks in the checkbook, there was money in the account. And oh. so he was just writing <laughs> checks. And so <laughs> like that's kind of their background. So yeah, like it was definitely okay. my mom that was really good with stretching a dollar and uh, kind of knowing what to do with that stuff. And yeah, uh, so that's, yeah. It makes sense. <laughs> we, all, we all learn and get better. But yeah, they did pretty well in, in the end. That was an expensive lesson, I bet. <laughs> yeah, that was a, a very awkward conversation, I'm sure. I would have loved being a fly on the wall for that one. Right. Uh, <laughs> I actually was lucky enough to have uh, a lot of those same values, I think, instilled on me from my grandparents. They were very big on on no debt load, um, buying used. Uh, my grandma grew up uh, in, in East Germany during uh, you know World War II, so... <laughs> she knows how to stretch a dollar, too, believe me. Yes, I'm sure, I'm sure. But... I think that, uh, I mean, that was such a key towards my financial independence. I think that, uh, how, what, what could we do to help other people get, get that same access to that kind of information? Like, like that seems to be one of the biggest problems I think with the world today is that nobody really understands investing or savings or debt load or credit or any of this stuff. Yeah. I think a lot of it is just people, I, I think it's made so complicated uh, when really the processes aren't that hard. And that's kind of what we try to emphasize on the blog and in my book. Um, mm-hmm. Just try to really focus on um, A, just understanding that it is doable for normal people with normal jobs. Like you don't have to, like I kind of explained our background, but you don't have to come from wealth. You don't have to have this massive income, like where, you know, you're a doctor or you're a Hollywood star or you're you know, cashing out on a startup, like 
normal people can do this. And that's kind of really the message we want to get across. Because I think a lot of time that's, it's just that simple of people seeing that it's possible and that, mm. in, that inspires action. Whereas a lot of times people are just drifting because they don't understand that it's possible because, I mean, I think that the industry has made it so complex to get started investing and to, to really understand what is the things that matter and what, what things move the needle. Yes. Uh, it, but it's also gotten a lot easier too these days too, wouldn't you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, with the advent of the internet and things like Vanguard and index funds. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a different world even than when I started investing, you know, when I got out of school in 2000. I mean, yeah, I think I started in 08, Dan, you started even younger than that in high or before high school, right? Oh, oh, I started dabbling, but I wasn't successful and I didn't stick with it for any long amount of time. (laughs) Well, yeah. Did you buy Enron? Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. I bought I bought a utilities company, and then and then Enron happened, and then just all the utilities companies just took a dive. <laughs> oh gosh! Yeah, I had a I had a I had a dividend reinvestment plan. So my idea was like, I'll put this money in at 13 years old and let the dividends reinvest, and then I can retire off of it. Then the stock tanked, and they canceled the program. <laughs> and Dan learned about uh, diversity. <laughs> I learned, yeah, diversity, and uh, I learned about sectors moving together. Like, my, my power company didn't do anything bad. Why is it going down? I see. I was looking through your blog, uh, and one of the articles that really stuck out was uh, I think I think it was titled uh, "The Worst Advice I've Ever Gotten." Or, or yeah, I think the worst investment advice I've ever seen everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and that had to do with uh, using financial planners. <laughs> it sounded like you had a pretty terrible experience. Yeah, well, you know, I, I thought I did at first. And then as I kind of dove into it, I realized what I had was a pretty standard um, experience if you're using uh, commissions-based advisors, which was what mm-hmm. I was using. And I, I almost could put advisors in air quotes because, I mean, they're really, they're salesmen is what they are if, if we're being honest about it. And so they're going to kind of sell you the things that are in their best interest. And that makes sense once you understand it. But again, I kind of went in with not knowing what questions to ask. So I kind of told you like my parents, they they did pretty well with not a lot um, as far as stretching a dollar mm-hmm. and they were investing. And um, they I knew that they were in position where they helped my brother and I with school. And so I kind of just, I guess my due diligence for finding an investment advisor is I went to my parents and I, I thought they knew what they were doing and I respected them. And I said, you know, who are you using? And they said, we'll introduce you. And that was the amount of due diligence I did. And I never <laughs> asked a question. And whatever basically told us to do, that's what we did. So we went in and, you know, we were buying, you know, front-loaded mutual funds paying, you know, five and a half percent. And then we were on the back end uh, paying like 2% a year in expenses, not having an idea what expenses we were paying. Ugh. And then like he was having us like we would go in and we say like, well, what do you think about our 401k? And he said, well, we can get you better investment options, um, which were definitely better for him, but uh, right. they were not better for us. We lost all those tax advantages. And um, because we were using uh, taxable accounts, like not only were we not getting that tax deferral, then our investments as we oh. were building up, we were starting, they were starting to kick off and they were all actively managed funds. So they were kicking off even more fees. And I mean, the taxes and the fees we were paying, um, I mean, it almost sounds unbelievable to people listening to this maybe, but I tallied it up, and in our last year alone, we paid like twenty thousand dollars in unnecessary fees and taxes. And uh, and if you would have asked me what we were paying, uh, I had no idea. I would have probably said a couple hundred dollars. I mean, they're just so hidden so well. And and if you don't know what to look for, uh, yeah. So it was a painful experience. Oh man, I'm glad you managed to pull yourself out of that. It's not, I think uh, the the phrase you used at the end was that you your parents succeeded, but in spite of, not because of. Yeah, I mean, that for sure, like me a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, like when I so when I first kind of realized uh, kind of what advice we were getting and what we were paying for it, and I talked to them, and you know, like I think the the financial advisors they they really focus on building relationships and building trust, and I think my parents were almost like upset at us, like we would confront him and talk to him about it, and like they couldn't believe, and eventually, like now I actually they ended up firing the advisor too, and I actually. Um, manage my parents' money. I help them with their investments. Uh, but I mean, it took quite a while for them to, even um, even as I was, um, you know, getting serious about this and writing about it till they kind of came around. And, and I just, you know, I just said, you know, I, I think you're probably getting a bad deal. If you want me to sit down with you, I will. But it took them, I would say two or three years till that happened um, until they kind of um, agreed to do that. And then ever since, uh, yeah, it's been, um, I, that's what we've been doing ever since. 
that's funny you mentioned the the building trust and relationship and then your parents being like almost mortified of the idea of saying what are you doing or questioning him even that, that's not the first time i've heard that yeah and if you look at the some of the training things like so uh, i told you like my background i was <laughs> i was a physical therapist but i i also i did sports medicine so i was an athletic trainer and mm-hmm. so I worked with uh, high school athletes and the one kid, he was one of our football kids and, and we had a pretty good relationship and he went off to college and he called me and this was like right after this was all happening and I was starting uh, to write about finance and stuff and he went into school and I guess like he got the instruction, like call everybody you know and uh, get them to sit down with you and because uh, he was going to go into the investment mm-hmm. uh, advising business. And so I was like, I'll sit down with you, but I don't think you're going to want to hear what I have to say. <laughs> uh, but I mean, that's how they're trained. They're, they're like they, you get into these internships and like, they actually have you like reach out to your friends and your family and people that you trust. And most people don't know, uh, you know, what they're doing. And, and that's kind of the crux of that article that, um, you know, what, uh, you know, what's the worst investment advice that you hear everywhere is just that you need an advisor. And then, um, how do you find one? Well, you should ask for a trusted resource to refer you, but it's the blind leading the blind. Like, again, like my right. parents, they totally trusted this guy. They were not trying to screw me over and send me to the wrong guy. Um, they just, they didn't know what to ask. And, um, before I started writing about this stuff, I'm sure I sent three or four other people of my friends to this same guy uh, because, yeah, he was doing great for us. Our money was going up. But, yeah, I mean, the whole market was going up. And I hope you called those friends back. <laughs> I did, yes. I did. <laughs> Some of them are still friends. <laughs> that's funny uh, because that's, like, the main reason why I actually took up, like, doing the investing myself, like, picking out. Uh, trying to either pick stocks or, or park my money in the, like that, the spy or, or something like that. It was, I just did not trust anybody else to touch my money. I, I had a severe distrust of anybody being financially motivated to trying to manage my, my nest egg. And uh, yeah, that, that kept me away from that completely and then made me decide to focus on actually learning it. Yeah, but you know what? Like, I, I feel that way now. Mm-hmm. But we, you, like you mentioned before about like, why is it, why are people so intimidated? And I, again, I think they make things so intimidating. The industry does. And so even as I was learning how bad our advice was and I was learning about conflicts, like my, my initial thing was like, man, I can't do this myself. It's so complicated. And so my initial gut instinct was, you know, I just have to find a better advisor. And mm-hmm. I, I remember going in, so I have a, a physical therapist friend who was my partner in our, in our office. And I said, you know, do you use somebody? Because he was pretty frugal. I thought he, I kind of got a sense that he was okay with his money. And, you know, money's so taboo. Nobody really talks about it. Right. Uh, and he said, yeah, I do. And I said, well, how did you find him? Like, how do you even know what to look for? And he said, well, you know, Dr. So-and-so and Dr. So-and-so, the two orthopedic surgeons we work with, he said, they both use them. And I know they have a lot more money than me. So if they're good enough for them, they should be good enough for me. And I was like, <laughs> well, like, like they're good surgeons. Like I would trust them to repair my rotator cuff or replace my hip or something. But right. that doesn't mean, you know, if you need an annuity, that doesn't mean, you know, like, you know, what your <laughs> asset allocation should be. Like they went to medical school. They didn't, they, they're not investment. And it, that for whatever reason, when he said that to me, that's when the light bulb finally clicked. And I was like, you know, I got to figure this stuff out. And once I just dedicated myself to doing it, it's just, it's not very hard, but yeah, it's just that initial hurdle of knowing that it's possible. Oh, that, that sounds like, uh, that's, you know, genuine incentive to keep it like the mist, the shroud of mystery around it to try to convince people that they need that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if, if they're, you know, if people realize how simple it is, why would they pay those, the fees? Um, so yeah, the, the more complicated you make it, then the more that they keep themselves in business. Mm-hmm. Kyle, they're not going to teach you how to homebrew at a bar. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. They would, if they can still make better beer than you. Okay. Well. Right. I mean, maybe I, I don't know what bars do you go to <laughs> <laughs> i'm saying that there might be a financial incentive to teach somebody how to do it when you know that they're not you know this very small percentage of the people are going to have the actual skills to be successful at it yeah, fair enough but fair when enough. it's something like financial investing and you can level the playing field with you know two weeks worth of research <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah that, that probably don't want to be offering those classes i mean that's what i mean didn't dr han say that when he first started doing his uh, instruction business, like just teaching people financial literacy, that there was nobody doing it. Yeah, yeah, because he was looking for himself. Yeah. <laughs> oh, let's shift gears a little bit. How about let's go on to some of the more nitty nitty gritty details of being retired. And this is a particular importance to me because I mean I don't consider myself retired anymore. Or, uh, more so that I, I took a new job working for myself. But 
health insurance is one of the biggest ones that always is in the back of my head is like the biggest obstacle why I couldn't do it. You mentioned several uh, different options in uh, one of your blog posts. So I was curious if you can expound on those, some of the different different options you have for, for trying to secure that. Yeah. I mean, first I would just say, I, I don't think there is one good universal option. And I think that's the biggest challenge that, mm. that in my opinion that I faced. And also just in talking to readers, that's the thing that hangs people up. Cause I mean, it's, it's such a big deal. Uh, but I think the, the best thing for early retirees that's happened is, um, and, and <laughs> some of your readers just hearing the name of it will, get, or listeners will get mad just because it's so political, but the Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act, uh, but it's really changed the game. Um, for being able to, uh, really two things. Number one, just being able to buy insurance. Um, if mm-hmm. you had a pre-existing condition before, um, they could either deny you coverage or, um, they could, uh, basically discriminate based on your past medical history, uh, to the point where they could offer it, but it would be so expensive that it was pointless to even have insurance. Uh, right. so with the Affordable Care Act, um, the, and there's definitely drawbacks to this. Um, it, there's nothing perfect about this, but the nice thing, it, it, cannot deny you coverage based on past medical history. And the only thing that costs are based on is your, aside from your location, your state, it varies a bit. Um, but then your age and whether you're a smoker, that's the only things that affect your rates. Mm. And so um, that, that was a game changer for early retirees. And then the other part of it is there are subsidies uh, based on your income. So if you have a low income, which most early retirees uh, will, uh, and you can kind of manipulate your income by um, it's based on your uh, adjust or actually your modified adjusted gross income. Uh, so it's based on that. So if you can keep that low enough and generate enough income to um, to meet your needs, which most relatively frugal early retirees can, um, the insurance is really affordable with the subsidies. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the positives of it. The downside of it, um, it just went uh, had another challenge. Really, I think three weeks ago, and the Supreme Court struck that down. But it's under constant political assault. So, right. like for myself, I'm forty. How old am I? <laughs> I'm forty <laughs> five years old now, um, and so I still have twenty years till uh, Medicare. And like right. this law, I mean, every time there's a new administration, it's you know there's talk of repealing it or changing it. And I, even like last year, I, it actually got much better for the next two years, um, where they they uh, improved it for people that are on it now. Uh, but it's only for two years, and they didn't pass that law until like March. So, like for my wife and I, we plan every year in December, and we just go year to year and figure out what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. And they changed the law in March, so three months later, after we made a decision, it didn't help us a whole lot. And then it's only through twenty twenty two, but they made the subsidies much more generous, and they removed. There's called a subsidy cliff where if you make too much, so uh, maybe if you made, and I'm just throwing numbers out there, um, but say you're a married couple and you're making $60,000 of uh, adjusted gross income. Um, and before, um, if you were at that level, maybe you got an $8,000 subsidy. But if it was literally like if you made $60,000 one, wherever you crossed that threshold, your subsidy went away, which would, it made it just such a nightmare to try to plan. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. Uh, whereas now it's a sliding scale. So eventually the subsidies go away. But it's a much higher income, and it's like there's not that that big drop off. So those are two big changes that just happened this year uh, with the change in the law. Uh, but again, that's only for two years, and then who knows what happens after that? There could be a new Congress. There could be, uh, you know, who knows what happens? So it's it's extremely challenging planning around a law that's so unstable. Well, there's some other options that you had on there that I'd never even heard of, and I thought I had done some research, but one of them was like co- uh, co-ops almost or collectives. Yeah. Uh, before we get into that, I, I think the the one I'm more familiar with that a lot of early retirees are fond of is healthcare sharing ministries. Yes, that's the one. Yes. Yeah, those are through like they're nonprofit. They're through. They basically have a religious uh, ideal to them, like where you're pulling resources based on like a Christian tradition of, uh, you know, you support your you know your fellow people. Uh, but because they are, they do have this religious. Um, aspect to them. Mm. There's like, there's behavioral things to them. So like, you know, if you drink alcohol and yeah, you, okay. you're yeah. injured, you may not be covered <laughs> or something like that. And like, even if you know, personally, you're, res- you're a responsible person, like I'm a physical therapist and I've seen people get hurt for really st- doing really stupid stuff. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so like, you only have to get drunk one time or like, or another thing is like pregnancy out of wedlock. Like that would be a Christian thing. And so like, if you have an unwed pregnancy and so like, you know, like I trust myself and my wife that we're not gonna get that, but like I have a daughter and like, I know teenagers do things. And so do I really want to take on that risk, you know, a couple years down the road? Um, 
I really don't want to take that risk. So like there's all these different aspects that you really have to be careful with these healthcare sharing ministries. And then the other thing is they're not insurance. So there have been instances where you hear of people not getting claims paid and you don't have a whole lot of recourse. There's definitely a cap, like whereas ACA plans, um, you know, the Obamacare plans, they're not capped. So you have mm-hmm. no limit on how much insurance will pay out. Um, most of these have maybe like a million dollar limit, which sounds like a lot until you have a serious medical condition and you realize that can happen pretty quickly. Yeah. So like to me, the, the role of insurance is to cap your big risks that you can't afford to take. And I don't know how well the um, health share ministries do. So um, that was something that we considered, but we didn't think it was a fit for us. And, and those are probably the two most popular things. Uh, and then there's other just little things like you have um, um, Cobra, which only lasts like a year or two. But if you're, yeah. you know, if you're uh, like not a fire type early retiree, but like a 60 something year old retiree, that right, might, right. might bridge the gap for a year or two. Uh, there's, um, I'm not even sure what the status of these now with, again, with the change of administrations, like with Trump, uh, the Trump administration, like there was the option to get like the more catastrophic plans um, where you, you have much uh, much lower premiums, but they don't cover all the things that the Affordable Care Act plans do. And again, like you have that option where they can deny you once you get a once you have an illness or an injury, they can just raise your premiums. They may not renew you, so you have all those risks that went into insurance pre ACA with those. So yeah, there's just there's a lot of options, but none of them are are great. So I think for most people, the ACA is the best, yep, uh, followed probably by the health share ministries. Yeah, that's the one that we're actually looking at too. Uh, I think uh, with Cobra, you get like a little bit of a grace period to, I think, up to 45 days after you separate that you can uh, back opt into it. Um, yeah, I'd look into that. I'm not sure off the top of my head, but I, I'm pretty sure it's a two-year limit after you part services, two, maybe three years. So, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not a long-term option regardless. I'm saying you can, you can skip out. You know, like just skip a month and then if you get hurt like you know 30 days oh, after you, you yeah. separate, then you can go back and be like, oh, no, I wanted to pay it. Here, here's, here's the premiums I missed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's kind of one of the things with the with the affordable care too is like you can uh and, and to me this is a fault of the law not not a, i mean it's, it's a positive for an individual but it's pro- one of the reasons the law doesn't work very well in my opinion but yeah i mean you can get an injury or an illness and then as long as you can get by to the next open enrollment period mm-hmm. uh you can just sign up and you don't pay any higher premiums and um you know it's like you never had that so uh, to me, that's a flaw in the system, <laughs> but it, it works to your advantage as an individual. It's like when I buy an Apple product and don't sign up for the service, and then when it breaks, I, then I'm like, oh, can I get that warranty now? Yeah, it's essentially, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Just for your body. <laughs> Whoops, I do have cancer. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the point of insurance that whoever wrote the law, it, it, it wasn't, I don't think, thought out <laughs> as well as it could have been for a. 500 piece, 500 page piece of legislation but that's that's for another day <laughs> who's got time to read 500 pages so so what other uh, obstacles did you have to overcome when you finally made the decision to like what was the things that were standing in your way that you had to to sort out before you could actually make the leap into retiring um i think just the big mental hurdle so i mean if you are a person so again i i left my job at i was 41 years old and my wife and i we saved basically one salary and lived off one um and that wasn't really precise. Like some years we actually saved more than that. Uh, some years we saved a little bit less if we splurged and did a big trip or something. But mm-hmm. uh, in general, we were saving, let's call it 50%. And so you do that because you're comfortable saving. Like we talked about kind of the psychological aspects uh, for both of us. And so when you go from saving 50% to retirement of drawing down your assets, like that's like, you know, you're speeding down the highway and then you slam it in reverse. And <laughs> Like for most people, that's not comfortable. And um like, you know, you don't like, you can't save that much. It's like a crash diet. Like, yeah, you might be able to do that for a week or a month, but you know, to achieve financial independence and to retire early for us, it took like 16 years. So, uh, you, you have to do it cause it feels comfortable. And so by definition, then it's going to be uncomfortable to start just turning around and drawing down. So what we had to do was kind of come up with a system of, you know, what would we do that would, you know, not, not feel so uncomfortable and not feel so stressful where we're always worried about money. Mm-hmm. And so what that ended up looking like for us is my wife still works part-time. And like we talked about, I kept my PT license for a while. But um, in the meantime, I was working on doing some writing and I make a bit of income from the blog and I wrote a book. And so like we kind of just do kind of some hobby work now and enough to kind of more or less get by without having to touch our investments. Some months we are net savers, some months, some months we're net spenders. But it's not that traditional mm-hmm. retirement that most people think of where you just cut everything off. 
and you're spending down your assets. And so in the three years since I left my job, our, our investments have almost doubled. So now we're in a much more comfortable position. Right. And we've been gradually easing down where we're not really savers or spenders. And so when we do hit that point, it'll be much more comfortable, I think, to, to cut back and start you know, living that more traditional life, uh, retirement lifestyle. It's funny you put that into words, but yeah, that was uh, something I experienced uh, last week when I paid myself my first check out of my account. I'm like, oh, it's so painful. <laughs> it's going the wrong way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, like, again, like, it's just, you know, you don't get this way by, you know, if, if, if you have to struggle to save every month, then you're probably not going to ever get to that point where you're mm-hmm. able to retire at 40 or 50, let alone traditional retirement age, because, you know, uh, you're spending everything and that's what's comfortable for you. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's quite a shock to the system. And I think that doesn't get quite enough attention. People are just like, oh, yeah, I'll just do this and I'll hit financial independence and I'll quit. And it just doesn't really work that way. Right. At least not for us and for most of the people who I've talked to. <laughs> it's <laughs> definitely something I've had to work on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it takes a special person, I think, to be able to just rapidly change like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dan, you got anything? I got one more topic I really want to cover, but I'll let you jump in. Chris, what, what do you find when, when you come across people? What do you find their biggest obstacle and hurdle to retiring early is? Uh, you mean like people like blog readers, people that are close to retiring or people like just getting started out or, or like who are you asking? Uh, yeah, I would, I would say uh, the, the, the people that you come across that are, that are like coming across your blog and, and, and they're, they're actively looking for, for a path and they're saying, oh yeah, can I retire yet? Yeah, so I, I think um, I, I've been meeting with like I, I typically set aside, and I haven't done it the last couple of months. We were on the road last month and stuff, but um, I'll, I'll meet with a couple of blog readers a month. And I think for a lot of people, um, I think it's just that idea of you know when do you have enough, mm-hmm. and then and then just kind of having that courage to make the change because again, like I think people are comfortable saving, and also I think like I think people focus a lot on the financial aspects, like you know. How am I going to get health insurance? Do I have enough money? What are the taxes going to be? All those types of things. And I think people focus way too little on, you know, what do you actually want to do on the other side of retirement? Uh, and it's not like what I found is it's not necessarily an easy question. I think people like, like I'll talk to people and I'll say like, well, what do you like? They'll say, do you think I should retire? Do you think I have enough? And I was like, well, what do you want to do? And they're like, uh, I think I want to start exercising. And I was like, well, do you exercise at all now? I'm like, well, no. I was like, well, why do you think you're going to exercise when you're retired? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, or like, I want to start doing this. Like, do you, have you tried that? No. And like, well, do you think you might not like that? Like, that's something to maybe consider before you quit your job and upend your life. Because um, <laughs> like, like, you know, like for me, um, like some of the things that I thought I would do, like I, I'm like, we moved, so I'm from Pennsylvania and we moved to Utah after I retired. And my wife and I just love skiing and we would do a trip every year and, and we have these little crappy hills in Pennsylvania, but we would go every weekend and ski from open to close and like we love skiing. And so, yeah, when we moved to Utah, now we have world-class skiing in our backyard. Yes, we ski probably 50 days a year. But then nice. like other stuff, like I never really was into like, like I, I always felt like I should volunteer. Like I, I just felt like I should be doing more and I never really did. And I was always like, I was too busy. And like that first year when um, I retired and I left my job, I, I think I like I we had like a thing at our church at Thanksgiving and I like served dinner for like four hours and then I signed up to do something for like two hours and like at the end of the year I think I volunteered six hours and it's like why didn't I do more and it's like I guess it just really wasn't a priority to me so it's not to say you can't change uh, and I have definitely gotten more involved in doing things with that now but it, it takes a concerted effort and so I think people just think like oh I'm going to retire I have time I'm magically going to change and I don't think that's the case like I think you have to be very intentional. And it's definitely something to think about, you know, before you get there, because uh, a lot of people feel lost. Yeah, that's a great point, because I think a lot of people do get their, uh, like, almost purpose from from their work. Like, the work is what defines them. And mm-hmm. if you suddenly take that away, you need something to fill that gap. You need something that's going to drive you or, or give you that sense of accomplishment. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think we thrive on, you know, accomplishment and and service and um, helping other people. And yeah, when that, a lot of that comes from work for a lot of people. So when it goes away, a lot of people, I think, feel lost. And, and a lot of people end up going back to work for that reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I could see, I, I could see a lot of people taking like just a part-time job. I always told my dad, he should just go get a job at the gun range since he likes to shoot so much. Go work somewhere where you can get a discount for the things you enjoy cool. doing. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, that's what I plan on doing. When I'm done working, I'll go work at Radio Shack or something where I can get like the cool electronic stuff and around with 
<laughs> yeah, and, and that's kind of, I mean, a lot of the stuff I do, it's not even necessarily for money, but yeah, I mean, I, vo- I volunteer, like, so I, like, I liked being a physical therapist. I liked, like, the, just the physical, like, the, you know, working with people, uh, mm-hmm. helping them get better, um, stuff like that. But, like, I hated our medical system. It just sucked. And so, like, now, like, I do, like, adaptive skiing. And so it kind of fills that, scratches that itch for me, fills that need. And then I also, I get, I get free ski passes to go to other resorts. Yeah. So I'm not necessarily, profiting in money but like you know it's tax-free you're getting a hundred dollar ski pass to another resort and it's just stuff like that i mean there's all kinds of ways that you can be productive and use your skills after retirement but again it's just it's something you want to kind of think about and you know have a plan and, and you know nobody's plan ever goes according to the way they thought it would but at least if you're thinking about things you'll have options and, and right. it'll be stuff you've considered what's that mike tyson quote and everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face i love that <laughs> one yep. i use that all the time <laughs> Ah, okay. I want to pivot uh, one more time here. Um, there was one article I was reading to on your blog post, and you wrote it back in 2013. It was about uh, the true cost of buying a home. Uh, I think the conclusion was that in many cases, renting was better than buying. Yeah, um, that was actually my my. So my blogging partner Daryl, he wrote that post. It's probably the most. Yeah, it's probably the most popular post on our blog still. Yeah, I think it was the first one that showed up. I was just curious if you still felt that way, but I guess if you didn't write that, that's not well. You know, he, he, I can tell you, um, he just bought a house this uh, very right. recently. But I think, um, I think it's a challenging uh, question, and I think it changes um, from like, like right now, it's the housing market's just crazy. So I, it really mm-hmm. depends on what market you're in, and also what you're going to do with that money, how you're going to invest it, if you're you know, if you're not putting it into a house or, you know, if you're using a mortgage, there's a lot of different factors that go in. And, and uh, yeah, that article, um, if, if you're wrestling with that, or if, if listeners are wrestling with that, um, definitely worth checking out. He put a lot of thought into that and it's, it still does really well on the blog. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, it's the most read thing we've ever had. And uh, yeah, but it, it's a tough question and it, he really kind of dives into a lot of those different factors. Shoot. I should have looked closer at the author because I thought we were going to have a good argument. <laughs> 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 yeah, I've actually always been uh I've always been a home uh fallen on the home owner side. Me but too. for me yeah. it's just more uh of an issue of just comfort. Like I and we've uh, we paid our mortgage off in like 7 years. Mm-hmm. And when we moved, we sold our house in Pennsylvania and bought our house in Utah here with cash. And to me it's just um it's just a comfort thing. I've never honestly broke down like I know he really dove into the analytics of the math of it. And for me, it's just uh, um, some things I think it's worth doing that. And then other things, you just got to know what's going to make you sleep at night. And for me, not having a mortgage, um, like I know if everything went haywire, I mean, our expenses are so low because for most households, that's the biggest expense you have is your housing. So by being able to eliminate that other than, I mean, it's, you know, you still have property taxes and upkeep and stuff, but not having a mortgage or a rent payment is just huge in my book. Yeah, I mean, I think the the main consideration is time. If you're only going to be somewhere for six months to a year, then yeah, why would you bother buying a house? But my argument for the pro side is that uh, if it's better to rent, then why are rental prices more? Like, why is anybody buying houses to rent them out? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Obviously making money doing it. Well, and one other thing, like if you, for, and again, this is maybe a limited portion of the people listening, but like if you are an early retiree, again, like, so we talked about the healthcare and the subsidies. So it's based, the subsidies are based on your income. And if you don't need, if you don't have a lot of expenses, which again, that's the biggest for most people. So if you can eliminate that expense, then you can keep your income that you recognize every year lower for tax purposes, which means you get a much bigger subsidy. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of factors that go into it and and you really have to kind of look at your own situation and and consider all of those things. Well, Dan, I tried, but I guess we're not going to get our beef yet. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> We've been on a quest to find someone to, to start beef. Yeah. Beef, beef's good for business. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm too agreeable. Sorry. That's all right. You know what? That pisses me off, Chris. You're too agreeable. <laughs> I got beef with that. Well, I was telling Kyle before we started. I mean, I, like, listen to you guys, how you guys invest and stuff. I thought this whole thing was going to be arguing. This is I, I've had nothing to argue about yet. This is a little disappointing. I was, <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I was looking to lock horns with the bulls. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we've. I, I think Dan Dan defined it perfectly. Uh, yeah, we've always said to anybody who asks us what they should invest in, uh, the SBY or an ETF that you like. <laughs> Don't overcomplicate it. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. We're, <laughs> agreed. We're, tr- we're trying to beat the game. With limited <laughs> success. <laughs> uh, Turns out it's hard. It's really hard. And it requires <laughs> a lot of time and effort. The people who are successful at this, this is their job. This is their nine to five. And then this is what they do on the weekends. 
Right. I just had this conversation with two friends. We were out hiking the other day and they were talking about that. And like, and kind of, that was my argument is like, I have enough interest in personal finance. Like I write a blog, mm-hmm. I've written a whole book and I have no idea. Like I can't answer Like they're asking, should I invest in this? Should I do that? And like, I can't answer any of your questions and I have way more interest than you. So why would you even think about it? <laughs> just buy an index fund and get back to hiking and biking and skiing and just yeah. go hang out with your kids and enjoy life. Like it, life's too short as far as I'm concerned, but. I, I, if you like it, by all means, go for it. But for me, I, I've never had any interest. In oh, I, I, we love it. Uh, yeah. Obviously. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And some people do. And by all means, go for it then. But yeah, yeah that's but not, not for me. It's, it's always going to be work. Yes. It, it's always work. That's been my, uh, that's my new go-to. I think if uh, somebody asks me if they want to do what we do, I think I'm going to ask them if they go to a party and they have 30 to 40 minute conversations with people at the party about stocks. Uh, then yeah, maybe you have yeah. a shot. <laughs> Are people walking away from you because you won't shut up about Tesla or Apple? Or <laughs> Have you ever had a loved one beg you to stop talking stocks? <laughs> to encourage you to start a podcast so you could talk to somebody else about it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, if that's yeah. not the case, then uh, stick to an ETF. <laughs> yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. man. Okay, well, I think we got through most of my questions, Dan. Yeah. So, Chris, how can I make a ton of money to retire uh, next week? I'm I'm in a hurry. (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) Don't start blogging. That's that's definitely the wrong. That's not the. (laughs) I I am willing to break the law. Just full disclosure. (laughs) I was I I could tell you a lot of ways not to get rich quick, but uh, (laughs) don't buy a variable annuity from your uh, commissions based broker. No, that's actually pretty good. Yeah, what what is some stuff I should stay away from? Yes, yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think what else you should not do. Um, yeah, those those are probably the big ones. Yeah, if you're going to get a degree, don't like, go a couple hundred thousand dollars in debt for a degree that's going to pay you forty grand. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, those those are the things not to do. But yeah, I, I don't know how to get rich quick. <laughs> Nobody wants to get quick-ish. rich slow. <laughs> yeah, quick quickish, a decade or two. Yeah, nobody likes to get rich slow. Well, what's your top three things that you'd tell somebody that is looking to retire or trying to start their plan, put their plan together? What's the top three things you'd tell them to do? I mean, the top three, the number one, absolutely, without a doubt, is to start by knowing what they're spending. Um, Because I think a lot of people, they have no idea how much they need to retire. And when I say a lot of people, like I was definitely in that boat before Mm -hmm. um, I started like reading these fire blogs. And, And that was really a game changer for me was um, just kind of understanding uh, and uh, like basically for a lot of the people in the financial independence community, like they'll use the 4% rule, meaning um, whatever your um, whatever your assets are, when you start retirement, you could take 4% of that. So say you had a million dollar portfolio, you could take $40,000 a year. Right. And so the inverse of that then would mean you would need whatever you spend, you would need 25 times that to be financially independent. And so that's not a perfect rule by any means. And um if you have a longer retirement with valuations and interest rates where they are now, stuff like that, um, you have to really modify that. But just mm-hmm. knowing, um, like having a true north, I guess, that that provides by knowing what your spending is. And then that gives you at least a goal to shoot towards, whether it's more than 25 or less than 25, depending on, you know, uh, 25 times you're expending, like depending on what else you want to do, if you want to keep doing some part-time work or if you want to truly retire and how young you are. Uh, but having, knowing your expenses um, gives you that, that place to start. And I think that's a big thing for people because if you don't have a place to start and you don't have a hard goal, it's really hard to make progress towards anything. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I think that's the number one thing is just starting there. Um, um, as far as the other two, I don't even know. I think like from an investing standpoint, I think a lot of people overcomplicate things. I think mm-hmm. like, like we break it down into three, um, three things you can do in the, in the book. And one is just, just simple index investing. Um, the problem with that is a lot of people, like I said, we save 50%. So that works really well if you have a high savings rate. Um, but it doesn't work so well if you're saving 10%. It just takes you a really long time to get financial, to financial independence. And so if you're not going to do that, like I know you guys like dabbling with little things, but you know how hard that is to beat the market. So mm-hmm. I think areas where you can beat the market are investing in real estate. And right now it's maybe challenging because prices are so high. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, if you can use leverage, you can use sweat equity, you can do a lot of different things. So if you treat it as a business, um, I think in uh, real estate over the long term can be one of those ways you can do better than in stocks and bonds. And then the other is just your own personal business. Um, if you have a skill and you w- are willing to put in the work, 
But again, they're totally different strategies. They're not passive like stocks and bonds are. So, mm-hmm. uh, But I think those are just kind of finding what your needs are and then matching your investment philosophy up with you know your skills, abilities, and needs. Well, Chris, can you tell us, uh, well, you mentioned your book. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, the book is Choose FI, Your Blueprint to Financial Independence. And uh, what that is, that's a podcast. There's a podcast called Choose FI. And um, mm-hmm. when I was thinking about retiring, uh, so I mentioned like I kind of had no idea what I was doing with investing and and just with retirement planning in general. And I started reading all these fire blogs and I was a big fan of the Tim Ferriss podcast. And he he had a book called Tools of Titans where uh, he took all of his podcast interviews and turned them into a book. Hmm. And that was my long-term goal. I wanted to write a book with all these different people, but from the fire community and interview them and then turn that into a book with like the best lessons. And so that was my plan. And then these two guys started the Choose FI podcast and I was like, Oh, that's oh, kind no. of exactly what I wanted to do. <laughs> and uh, so at first I was like, well, maybe they'll just suck and they'll fail. And that was, I was kind of rooting against them. Oh. Um, but I was listening and like, and uh, I was like, yeah, they're actually talking to everybody I want to and asking the questions. And this is kind of exactly what I wanted to do. So instead of like trying to reinvent the wheel, I just reached out to them and I said, hey, what if we take the interviews and turn them into a book? And they were very receptive and uh, they kind of blew up and, and they've gotten a much bigger audience. So it worked out well for all three of us in that they got a book and they didn't have to write it. And I had all the resources and all the legwork done and we had a, you know an audience to sell it to. So it worked out really well. And so what the book is, we just take all these interviews, uh, distill it down into key lessons and we, and we develop it into principles on basically the three key levers of how you spend less, how you earn more, and how you invest better. And then we also just look at, you know, what are you going to do after financial independence? And that's what the book is. That's awesome. Yeah. We'll make sure we put a link to that in the episode description. So anybody listening can check it out. Uh, And also your website, uh, canireretireyet.com. Yep. That's where I, uh, that's my home on the internet. If anybody wants to connect with me and I usually publish a new article every Monday, um, uh, usually just once a week. So you're Um, way better than I am. I try. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't always happen, but that's the goal. All right. Well, should we move on to some fun and games, Dan? Oh, I think so. All right. I had a little trouble thinking of a good one for this, but I think we found something that should work. All right. All right. We're going to call this uh, Retired or Fired. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to give you the name of a a famous person, and you're going to tell me whether or not they were retired or whether they got fired. All right. Uh, This is subjective, so you can kind of, this is for you to decide. You you can argue your point if we disagree. All right, let's start with uh, how about how about a recent one? Jeff Bezos. I didn't know he was either. (laughs) I guess I've not been following the news. He stepped down as CEO of Amazon to to focus more on SpaceX and some other activities. Ah man, I'm going to call him retired. I I would say he has enough. I I would say he's able to retire. So I'm going to call him retired. (laughs) I think he's got enough based on the 25 times. Well, I think a lot of these people (laughs) fall under that category. Yeah, I'm going to call him retired. (laughs) All right. um, How about John Schnatter? John Schnatter. You may know him as Papa John. Uh, I feel like he did some (laughs) stupid stuff. So I'm going to say he got canned. I'm going to call him fired. (laughs) Ding, 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 yeah, I don't know what he did. I'm not. I'm not much of a pop culture person, but I, I feel oh, like he. I don't remember what he did either, but I remember it was bad. I feel like it was something dumb. Oh no, I I remember what he did. He was doing a racial sensitivity call and decided to to, to kind of do a. Here's what you don't say. <laughs> oh God. Okay. Yeah. He got fired. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Why would you think that? That's smart. I don't know. I'm sure there's a little more nuance to it. Like if we had him on the show, be like, hold on now, here's what happened. But that's that's the article I remember reading. From my understanding, money does not buy brains. So, uh. (laughs) (laughs) okay. Well said. Well said. This this one is from Dan, uh, John DeLorean. Man, again, I don't even know who that is. I, I need to. Apparently, I need to watch more TV. No, this is an old one. Did you watch Back to the Future? Yeah, Back to the Future. You remember that movie? Yeah, absolutely. Remember the you car? Remember the car that the yeah. time machine was made out of? Yeah. Do you remember what it's called? Uh, it was a DeLorean, wasn't it? Yeah, John DeLorean. I <laughs> um, I, uh, on a coin flip, I'm going to say he was fired, which is why you guys put him in there. Uh, but I have no idea. I wasn't sure either i had to look it up and apparently he was busted in a coke deal um a bunch of other stuff happened oh yeah he's totally fired okay (laughs) (laughs) that's the way i was going too but i wasn't sure well i'm glad he made the car first or otherwise they would have been stuck back in the 50s so that would that worked out well at least for for marty mcfly anyway god what was that the 80s i mean can you imagine if that was a pinto (laughs) (laughs) all right last one let's do one more uh richard nixon uh, he was definitely fired. I, I know who he is. 
Hold on. And was he though? Was he though? Didn't he step down before he was impeached? Yeah. I guess I, le- I do know who he is, but I'm not a big political person, but I'm, I'm going to go with fired. I'm sticking with my answer. Trust your gut. <laughs> Dan, what do you think? I'm siding with Chris here because it's kind of like when your boss is calling you in to fire you and you're like, you can't fire me. I quit. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, but you wouldn't have quit if they weren't about to fire. Oh, Dan, you know how much I love technicals. <laughs> <laughs> So technically, he stepped down before he got fired. They were going to fire him. They were going to impeach him. (laughs) He beat them to it. All right. (laughs) You're technically incorrect, Chris. I'm sorry. Uh, There's no right or wrong on this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You've ended the the round minus $200, so we're going to need a cashier's check. Yeah. We'll take promotion. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Dan. Why don't you wrap us up, I think. Oh, well, Chris, this has been a really great chat. We really we really appreciate you coming here in the shop and talking with us about retirement, sharing your knowledge. Uh, we want to thank you very sincerely for coming out here. It's been great mm-hmm. talking to you. Oh, thanks for having me. That was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Glad to hear it. Wish we could argue more, but otherwise. Uh, Wish we'd have had you a month earlier. <laughs> you right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Good. before Kyle made his big, <laughs> big, big move. Mm-hmm. Uh, All right, folks, so we're going to wrap up the shop today, close the doors, close the shutters, because we don't want anybody getting in here smashing our china. Only we get to smash our china. Thumbs the rules. Damn right. Uh, We will be coming back at you soon. And until then, happy trades. Bye, folks. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.